Hello, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom, and today we're traveling back to October 1997 to look at all things ECW. Three other volumes this month. In Volume 1, we take a look at the WWF and the Bad Blood pay-per-view. Volume 2 brings us to WCW and focuses on Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. And in Volume 4, we return to the world of UFC to review UFC 15. This is Volume 3, of course, looking at ECW. I'm joined today by resident ECW expert, Chris Lacey. Chris, how are you today? Wonderful on this on this fine evening. Yeah, we have a, trans, a transatlantic operation going on here. Yeah, it's, it's midday for you and 8 o'clock at night for me over here. Right, right, very good, very good. And uh, before we get any further, I want to implore all of you uh, to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. Pledge $5 a month and get early access to shows like this. Also, if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Simple as that. Share the love. Exactly. And so, Chris, a proper transitional month in ECW, uh, no pay-per-views, no major shows, but still plenty for us to discuss in and out of the ring. First, there there's, is, a new, there's a new ECW champion. There is, yes. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow has beaten Shane Douglas this month for the title. Uh, he was picked as, by Rick Rude as one of the franchise's opponents. And this means that the Beast from the East is no longer a member of the Triple Threat. It appears that Candido and Douglas will be holding tryouts for the vacant third slot. We expect Bigelow to defend his ECW title against Douglas at the pay-per-view in November, although there is a rumour that Taz could be thrown into mix to make it a freeway dance. And uh, speaking of Taz, he's to stay in ECW until the end of 1998. Yeah, so Taz has agreed to stay with ECW through till the end of next year after having conversations recently with Eric Bischoff. Taz's deal with ECW was was set to expire at the end of this year, and he and Paul Heyman were a part on a deal for the next coming year. Taz had two conversations with Bischoff, but has not had any dealings with the WWF since his talks broke down earlier in the year when all that shenanigans did happen around SummerSlam time. Bischoff's initial offer, he verbally agreed a deal, but went back to Heyman, who Heyman then upped it and said that he would actually go with that. He went back to Bischoff, who came back with a better deal, said to have been very tempting to Taz, but after consulting with family and weighing up the options, he has decided to stay with ECW. Interestingly enough, Bischoff, on a recent AOL chat, has denied ever talking to Taz. And uh, for a slow month in ECW, we also have new tag team champions. Yeah, uh, the FBI beat the Gangstonators for the tag team titles this month with just a little bit of help from them damn Dudleys. Uh, more tag team drama. New Jack and Pitbull 2 have a backstage brawl. This one seemed pretty crazy. So uh, There has been reports of a locker room incident between New Jack and Pitbull 2 at the event at Queens, New York this month. New Jack told Gertner that he was going to have to blade in his angle later that night. Gertner had never bladed before and really wasn't too happy about the idea. New Jack handed Gertner the blade and Pitbull 2 stuck up for Gertner and got into a shouting match with New Jack, telling him that he isn't blading and blading isn't allowed by the Commission of New York. 
This then turned into a legit war of words when Pitbull 2 uttered the uh, the N-word. Pitbull 2 apparently pounded his chest a la his gimmick persona and then went after New Jack. They they went back and forth and the wrestlers quickly separated them and the Pitbulls were sent home. Heyman chewed out New Jack and reluctantly the next day on the show they shook hands. And it seems like Paul Heyman's not the only one uh, dealing with uh, backstage issues. There's some news on the restructure backstage after Todd Gordon's departure. Yeah, so the power structure and locker room hierarchy is uh, changing around backstage. Heyman, obviously, is the number one head honcho in running the show. Candido and Tommy Dreamer have been put up to the top two deputies for him. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley is a junior deputy of sorts, helping Heyman out with lots of promotional duties outside of his wrestling role. Tough to see Bubba Ray in an office uh, with his coat and tie, but there you go. Uh, Stevie Richards to return. Yeah, so in some interesting Believe It or Not style news, there is talk of maybe Stevie Richards returning to the ECW. This is all because CB hasn't officially signed his WCW deal yet. And uh, more Japanese stars in the ECW arena as well. So yes, um, this month we saw the great Sasuke make his debut, and several of the, more of the wrestlers from the Mishinoku Pro Federation in Japan are being looked to be brought in early part next year as part of this Sasuke and Just Incredible feud. And in my favorite uh, realm, more legal fun and games. So, it wouldn't be a month in ECW without there being something going on with court cases and such. So, we have three wonderful stories for you this month. First, there was a court case this week in Philadelphia with JPT, which was believed to be the t-shirt company run by Jason Pateco, who has claimed that the ECW owe him several thousands of dollars from a few years ago for t-shirts he dealt with for the ECW. This case has now been postponed until December. The Kewless family have appealed to the Boston magistrate's ruling that there wasn't enough evidence to get an indictment against Jerome Young, New Jack, stemming from the incident from last year. There will be follow-up hearings on that in January. And lastly, in downtown Pencil- in Downington, Pennsylvania, Heather Knowles, along with her husband Dan, who buy the promotional rights for many of the ECW house shows, allegedly had $12,000 stole from Sandman's van where they kept the money, which was their payment for the show. The police were called, but no charges were filed as there was no suspects. I can only imagine what kind of van the Sandman drives around in. It To me, I would imagine beat up, smoke billowing out of the side of a door. A little bit, you know, think uh, Silence of the Lambs, where they're pushing the, the girls into. Yeah, I was thinking maybe a Ford Aerostar and he could put his kids in the back and he's got enough room for the Saturday uh, uh, football equipment and, and those kind of things too. Maybe Sandman's a, a stay-at-home dad on the weekdays. We just don't know what kind of van it was. That is true. Anyway, uh, like we said at the outset, a, a pretty short month in terms of television, uh, four episodes of Hardcore TV this month, uh, really nothing new on the October 6th or 13th episodes. The former featured the rest of the matches from September's 
pretty good, no pun intended, as good as it gets show. The latter show was essentially an infomercial selling both the as good as it gets videotape and the upcoming November pay-per-view called November to Remember. So we jump straight to the October 20 Hardcore TV. Oh, the one thing I do want to just mention from um, the second week's TV, the promo of the FBI in a pizza shop. Oh, my God. There he is. Seek that out if you so choose. Um, I think the FBI are some of the more underrated uh, entertainers in ECW right now, but that's that's just me. Just, uh, just them trying to explain how to make a pizza and saying that they know a real Italian, it being Domino's. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and filmed, I think, right there in the ECW Arena concession stand, too, so a nice, authentic Italian pizza joint. Anyway, uh, we jump straight to the October 20 Hardcore TV. We open in Queens, New York, uh, with a rabid crowd in Joey Styles. Whenever he wants, it's called being a free agent, fools. 
Now you, Shane, you want me to push you to your limit. You want me to find you opponents who would help you reach your peak. Well, I've got just a man for you. He run rough shots through the WWE. the WCW and he has his way wherever he goes Japan, Asia, Europe it doesn't matter but he's not a boy and he's not a toy and he needs no introduction hit the music Styles introduces Shane Douglas out with Francine Douglas tells the Queen's crowd to fuck off and kiss his ass Shane introduces Rick Root, who promises another contender to the world title. Root tries to cut his standard 1980s promo. If I could be serious for a moment, if I could have your attention, please. They drown him out with, you fuck China chance. So this is a proper ECW crowd. They talk about Douglas paying Root to find him opponents and giving him the services of Francine in return. This is not PG television. Shane finally tells the crowd to shut the fuck up. Probably not a shoot there. Maybe it was, actually. I don't know. And let Rude announce his opponent. I think by that point, they'd had enough. It, it, it really felt that way, didn't it? Anyway, uh, they, Rude announces the opponent, and to the surprise of the crowd, it's fellow triple threat member Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Candido and Sonny can't hold Bam Bam back. Bammer looks proper ready to kill someone, and that someone appears to be Shane Douglas. So we jump right to Shane Douglas with Francine, Chris Candido, Sonny, and a partridge in a pear tree versus Bam Bam Bigelow for the ECW World Heavyweight title. We open with Shane drawing a line in the sand and getting pummeled for his troubles. Bigelow with a huge corner splash and an equally huge series of throws. Shane's bouncing around like a cruiserweight for Bam Bam here. Bigelow hits a choke slam. Shane calls timeout so we know he's the heel. Shane out of the corner with punches as Joey sells Shane's strength and brawling ability. Bigelow crotches Shane on the top rope, gets him again, and dumps Shane outside. The pace slows as Bigelow continues to pummel Douglas. Candido and Rude have a spat outside. Douglas then gains the advantage with clotheslines and a crossbody off the type. Top, nice move there. Bigelow up at two. Douglas works over Bam Bam and hits a freaking impressive stalling vertical suplex. Bigelow's got to be over 400 pounds at this point. Shane does heel stuff, you know, low blow, face rake, flare chops, but Bam Bam hooks up. Bigelow hits a beautiful root awakening. He recovers. Shane recovers, though. And Bigelow hits a huge powerbomb, rolls up Shane, and gets the three. We have a new ECW world champion in Bam Bam Bigelow. Chris, this was a great match. Yeah. Um, it was It was one of those of, oh, we've, we've got used to this good level of these rude challenges. Um, I was like, who are they, they going to send out now? You know, we've had Al Snow, we've had uh, LaFont, we've had Mikey. There's, there's been some decent matches there. And there's that, when Bam Bam came out, I was like, just come and sort of, you know, and do that sort of, oh, he's he's our boss, we'll, we'll play nice. And then Bam Bam absolutely batters 10 bells of shit out of him, which is really good to see. Um, I think mean, I think since Bam Bam turning up in ECW, this is probably his first 
match with anyone of any real note or that's of a, of a decent quality. Because obviously he's been mostly used in squashing people in in the likes of Spike Dudley and there being a few sort of tag matches and stuff. But it's really good to see what Bam Bam can do against a decent opponent. And watching Shane getting beaten down, he sold everything so well. He he really made Bam Bam look look even better than he already was himself because he actually made it seem like it was meaning something. Yeah, and, you know, a motivated Bam Bam is one of the, if not the best, big men we've got going right now. And and near the end of his Fed days, you could tell he wasn't motivated. Everything that everything after he kind of got hosed by the click after after his match with Lawrence Taylor, basically till when he had showed up in ECW, uh, everything in there was the guy you could tell was not motivated. He wasn't in great shape as far as Bam Bam can be in great shape for a big man, and, and he has been, and he appears to be now. But this this guy that was in the ring to, uh, at this show in Queens against Shane, this is the proper Bam Bam Bigelow. This is really the best that you're going to get out of this guy. And This reminds me a lot of, as I said, you're just saying, like the best. This reminds me of him uh, when he was in New Japan in like 89, 90 with Vader. Right. Um, him and Vader have a, a feud in that sort of period. And it's it's like proper two big men battering 10 bells out of each other. And this is that sort of level of intensity again that I haven't seen from Bam Bam since those days in New Japan. And, and then you, you take somebody like Shane Douglas, who's who's one of ECW's top guys, He's been protected. I mean, we've talked about how much that belly-to-belly suplex has been protected. And Shane has wins and, and great matches against pretty much everybody that's come in and gone out of ECW over the past three, four years, however long the, the, the show's been going on. And, uh, and, and Bam Bam just comes down here and wipes the floor with him for seven minutes. Shane got a couple bits of, of offense in, and, and good guy, Shane hit a vertical suplex on Bam Bam that was – I'm just as good as anything the Bulldogs ever done, and Bam Bam's, like I said, over four bills here, no question. And and Shane just just went out there and had a really good showing for himself. If his job was to get Bam Bam over and make him look like the killer we know he is, uh, we criticize Shane a lot here for being boring or not really knowing uh, what his wrestling style should be or what it could look like uh, if he really got, put the, all the pieces together. But you know, Shane kind of playing from underneath here. Uh, yeah, he did a really good job, and it was a different situation to see him in that. So props to Shane here too. And so one thing though that was interesting, Chris, and I, you probably picked up on this, was Bam Bam kind of out of nowhere comes out, turns on Shane, turns on the triple threat. Do you think they rushed this at all, or or does it not matter because it was executed so well? I think. It's one of those of how how they've done this. It didn't need the long drawn out. Um, you know, you you get it. We we've had it before with like the Horsemen back in the late eighties. You know, there's that one member. Is he gonna turn when when Luger was there and when Sting was in the Horsemen? You know that that can work, and that is the sort of the norm that you go to. But because this. This could have always been Rude's plan because Rude was, has been about longer than 
Bam Bam's been there. So they can quite easily just say that, you know, the only reason Bam Bam got in the triple threat was because it was Rude's idea and this was Rude's plan all along. Because if you remember back when Rude joined in January, his whole thing was he was there to fuck with franchise. They can quite easily write a story around it if, if needs be and make the, make the, make it all join together. Um, it's the one thing with a lot of ECW storylines being quite open and open to interpretation and not always finishing, you can do something like that and go, well, he did say, you know, back at the beginning of the year, he was going to fuck with you. Then Bam Bam turned up, and in the end, Bam Bam beat him for the belt. Right, and and I think this was executed so well, you may not even need to go through that, and I think the ECW crowd probably would just accept accept things as they are, but... Um, that, that was, if, if I'm looking for any criticism of this angle as to how it played out on television, um, uh, that's the only one. But they do have five or six weeks more of television to, to flesh this out, and I suspect they will. Uh, the next match on the on this episode of Hardcore TV was Sabu versus Mikey Whipwreck. And Sabu won a pretty typical Sabu match after a couple minutes. Uh, Joey recapped Sabu tagging Sandman with a fireball a couple weeks ago. And we appear to be building to a Sabu Sandman uh, at the pay-per-view. Uh, but interestingly, not not the Sabu match usually, which is uh, what's most interesting, but here we'll detail another match from this episode of Hardcore TV, a strange one of sorts. The former PJ Walker, Aldo Montoya. It's just incredible. He's just incredible. With Jason versus the great Sasuke. The New York crowd is mental for Sasuke and probably equally is visceral towards credible. Uh, streamers flood the ring for Sasuke and kicks from Sasuke to start as they lock up. Really good matwork from Sasuke, countered by Credible into a head scissors. I suspect, Chris, that this match is a little bit of a litmus test for PJ Walker. If he can hang with Sasuke, he can probably hang with anybody. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you see the match with Jerry Lynn from As Good As It Gets? I did, I did. And I think I think that kind of the, kind of the other idea, you know, get Credible in there, establish him as a good worker so the crowd will accept him. Um. So back to the match review, uh, Sasuke works the leg like Brett and wrenches into a single leg crab. Clean break and we reset. More kicks by Sasuke and back to the leg. Sasuke is so crisp, the match is entertaining, even though they really spent the first half of it on the mat. They pick up the pace a bit midway through. Incredible hits a low blow, followed by crisp body strikes and a low drop kick. Incredible hits that awkward swinging DDT, which put away Jerry Lynn last month. Uh, Sasuke's doing a really good job of making Credible's offense look strong. Justin hits a nice top rope hurricane runner for two. He hits another nice top rope sunset flip for a two. Uh, Sasuke regains the momentum and kicks, kicks Credible to the outside. Here we go. Sasuke hits a mental corkscrew tope to the outside, which looked really sore for both guys. Credible went splat into the guardrail. That looked really painful. Sasuke gets Justin back into the ring and climbs the rope, but the ref tends to Credible, which allows Jason to nail Sasuke, and Sasuke tumbles to the mat hard. Credible hits a jumping tombstone pile driver and gets the three over the great Sasuke. Joey Styles is beside himself, and rightfully so, selling how big of an upset this match is as we go off the air. Chris, thoughts on the match first before we talk about what this means for Justin Credible? Uh, this is an awesome match, and do you really do have to go out of your way and see this? Um, I will say, initially, when all the Mission Oki Pro guys uh, were in earlier in the year doing the six-mans, 
Sasuke was the one that I liked the least. You know, I, I had more of an affection for Brandon Inwa, uh, Dick Togo, and Takami Shinogo. Um, but seeing him here, you can see how good he is in a singles match. Because that was in the middle of a six, of six-man tags and being the spot fest that Japanese six-man tag matches are. You sort of lo- he was a bit lost in it. Seeing him here, you see how good he is. And then you see that just incredible can hang with him and it wasn't sort of a, a one-sided affair as such because like sometimes with these matches you can see that someone's being carried justin was was there carrying enough of his own um i do love the fact that jason is with him because i know that dell has his man crush for jason and him him just being around gives Justin, something for people to hate about him. Um, I think, face. well, his face is enough, but <laughs> it's it's Jason just is the heat that means that he can be hated as long as as well as still being a good wrestler and still being liked because he's a match. You know that what you're going to get. Um, and if these two, as, as said in the news, if they're planning on bringing more of the Mushinoku Pro guys in, uh, even up to next year to keep this feud going, I can quite happily live with that. Yeah, I mean, you guys talked last month, I think, about a renewed emphasis on in-ring uh, wrestling, uh, which which has kind of been lacking from ECW uh, over the last six months or so. This this match, and it's just the direction they're going with their mid-card, with their undercard, uh, yeah, they're not going to have any problems uh, with people criticizing the quality of the in-ring stuff in ECW. Uh, you know, Just Incredible is naturally hateable. There's there's a reason why he wore a jock on his face, it appears. Uh, but, man, he can go, and he's only 22, 23 years old, and he's putting on matches like this with Sasuke. And, I mean, we all know Sasuke from Jeff Parker's favorite show, Canadian Stampede, when he put on a really great match with Takamichi Noku, and like you said, he was kind of outshined by the other Michinoku Pro guys earlier in the year when they were in ECW, but here he had the spotlight, and Paul Heyman probably said, you, your job to put this guy over, and he did that, and it made Sasuke, it was a great match from Sasuke, as we come to expect, it made Credible look amazing, and, and you mentioned the match against Jerry Lynn last month, this match... At what point do we just say, okay, Justin Credible, he is what he is. The name is pretty dumb. Uh, he doesn't look like he doesn't look like a top guy, but he can go, and he's going to be the guy that they might be able to stick in with anybody and get a good match out of him. Um, really interesting. But I look at the, ro- at the roster at the moment, and I see people like Lance Storm. I see Candido, um, Furnace and Lafont. There's talk that they're going to be kicking about for a while too. You could put any of them in matches with Credible, and I think you're going to get decent wrestling matches that, you know, fulfill the wrestling part of an ECW card. Right, and with a company yep. this small, yeah, with the, yeah and with a, with a company this small, with the shows they run, with the travel they have, all you really need is six or eight guys you can kind of rotate against one another to fill out that mid card, and and they're really close to that. Interesting though, uh, according to the dirt sheets this month. Uh, Just Incredible's contract situation is it's a bit up in the air. He's still technically signed to the WWF. NECW is kind of using him on a wink and a nod deal uh, through the Fed. 
But there's no guarantee that Credible's not going to use this exposure to build his name and jump straight to WCW for guaranteed money. So a bit of a risky proposition here for uh, for ECW, although they, they appear to have big plans for Justin. And so we continue with the TV's review, uh, TV reviews for the month, turning to the October 27 Hardcore TV. Uh, we open with a recap of the Rick Rude, Shane Douglas feud. Uh, and the video closes, uh, coincidentally enough, I'm sure, hyping the rematch between Douglas and Bigelow on November 30 exclusively on pay-per-view. Uh, the show is uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or near enough. That's Shane Douglas's hometown. So you see where we're going here. And we go straight to the ring, to the FBI with the Big Don versus New Jack and Cronus for the ECW Tag Team titles. I can't use gangstinators. <laughs> Call uh, Collar and Ebo tie up into a Maha Stock Cradle from New Jack to start. Uh, oh, wait. No, 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 no. This quote-unquote match starts with Cronus nailing one of the Italians with a street sign. New Jack nails Smothers with a guitar. That guitar did not look gimmicked. Smothers is uh, bleeding immediately. That doesn't prevent Jack from hitting Smothers with a prosthetic leg. Mad Dog Vashon nowhere to be seen. Uh, this match is a massacre. Guido's bleeding. There's more bleeding. There's more weapons. You know the drill. But the finishing sequence was okay. That sees the Big Don get dragged in by Jack, followed by the fourth guitar spot of the match. Two refs are down. And then Cronus hits the only wrestling move of the match with truly a gorgeous 450 onto the Big Don. Seeing a man that big fly through the air like that is always impressive. And then those damn Dudleys hit the ring to assault Cronus and Jack. Dudley death drop on Cronus. The Dudleys throw a truly unconscious Guido onto Cronus. And there's evil ref Jeff Jones to count the three. And we have new ECW Tag Team Champions in the FBI. The Big Don's big plan comes to fruition. Joey acts like the FBI should have been disqualified for the Dudley's interference, ignoring, I guess, the felony assault done to the FBI by Jack and Cronus for the last 10 minutes. Chris, we'll stop here for a minute because this segment just continues on like it does in ECW from time to time. The FBI, new Tag Team Champions. Um, it's it's different. Um. I suppose there there can be going forward a story that you know they then own the Dudleys their title shot because the Dudleys don't want to fight the Gangstonators. Um, obviously, with with every New Jack match, you get weapons, you get guitar shots, you get a violin shot. You you know what you're going to expect. Um, this is the first real time seeing those two, other than obviously when they won the titles against the Dudleys, and that was you always knew that was going to be a brawl. I think that this partnership is actually bad for Cronus. I agree because he doesn't show his wrestling chops, and the thing is, we all this year we I've been saying that the gangsters, or not the gangsters, that the Eliminators were the best team in the US. Because of their wrestling. If all he's going to do is do the New Jack stuff, not so much. I was hoping that you'd still get Cronus being Cronus, but, you know, instead of it being a sweep and a top kick, a sweep and a guitar shot, something like that, I've, you know, bring New Jack into the Cronus thing, not make Cronus the new Mustafa. It it goes back to what we were saying before. I think Cronus is a, is a 
really good in-ring performer, or at least he is in, in terms of being in a tag team where he can come in and show his moves. I don't know if I've ever really seen him in a one-on-one match that I've been impressed by, but sticking him with New Jack kind of feels like half your team's gone, half my team's gone. Let's let's just get it together so we continue continue through with this uh, this storyline or this tag team arc that we wanted to to progress. I agree with you, and I, I think you could put Cronus with anybody else, and you'd get more out of Cronus. New Jack is undeniably over. He's undeniably popular. Crowd loves him. They love what he does, but it it, it does Cronus a disservice to be paired in that style because that's not Cronus's strength. Um, and I also think, I also think you have this New Jack situation where they're just trying to keep him out there with Mustafa gone, and it, it it just it's just not working for me. But that said, the FBI are my favorite tag team in ECW. I they they crack me up, and I'm happy to see them getting a little bit more of a run near the top of the division instead of just being the the tag team jobber team. Um, but the I think the tag. The gangsters. I think you're going to get them and the Dudleys one big blow off, and then hopefully that'll be them done because you can quite easily put both of them in singles. Um, I think Cronus Cronus would be able to be in that sort of run of those mid cards guys that we were speaking about earlier that you can get decent matches out of. You know, mix up the styles, and then you've got New Jack. You can then then you've got a singles guy that can do the walking weapons brawl which is what you expect on ECW. So they both would serve their purpose. They would both still be what they need to be, and you're not really hampering either. Yeah, maybe they're just two ships passing in the night right now, and hopefully that's that's it. Uh, but this match uh, segues right into the next match, and we have Balls, Mahoney, and Axel Rotten out to attack the Dudleys, and we go right into a match with Balls and Axel versus the Dudleys. Uh, evil ref Jeff Jones stays out for this one. The match opens as the last one ended with weapons chairs here. Uh, the FBI and the, the gangstonators uh, are back out. I'm not sure that they ever left. Uh, the Dudleys, Cronus and New Jack, FBI, balls and axle, brawl, but the match apparently continues. This really looks more like a riot than a match. Uh, but ultimately, John Finnegan comes out to lay out evil ref Jeff Jones. That grabs a huge pop from the crowd. And then the match ends, kind of surprisingly, with an inverted DDT from Axel onto Devon for the three. So, Chris, let's talk more here about this current state of the tag team division. Uh, no eliminators. The pit bulls are tied up elsewhere. Like we talked about, Mustafa is gone. But still per- four pretty compelling teams here to you know talk about, especially the Dudleys and Balls and Axel uh, coming together with these guys. And it looks like we're building to a four-way dance at the pay-per-view. Yeah, um... As I was saying, um, obviously the gangsters' stick was weapons. Balls and Axel could now take that mantle of being that team. Um, the Dudleys are, are slowly becoming the, the greatest heel tag team in, in wrestling at the moment. Um, the fact that they constantly get heat and... Even even in ECW, where we are the home of the smartest fans, quote unquote, in wrestling, they still boo the shit out of them and hate them that much. It's it clearly shows that they know what they're doing. Um, 
also sort of to chuck in the mix, you've got France on the front, you've got uh, RVD and Sabu, you know, the, the tag team division as a whole is very, very strong in ECW compared to what we had earlier in the year when it seemed to be just gangsters, eliminators, new Dudleys, and that was it. So, you know, it, it's looking up and as the year sort of closing of, of options and things that they can do. So I would say probably going into the pay-per-view, we probably will get some form of four-way, maybe mass brawl type thing between all these guys uh, for the titles. And it should probably be quite fun. And you added a, a maybe a team of Chris Candido and Lance Storm to that whole mix. And, you know, I think even before you consider that, you mentioned the strength of the ECW tag division all of a sudden. No no argument, a much stronger tag division than the Fed. And, you know, we laud WCW's tag division uh, every time, at least every time I'm on I'm on that volume. And this this depth here could, could rival what WCW has with the Steiners and the Harlem Heat and, and all those guys. This is, this is turning into a very impressive tag team stable here, and it's no wonder that they tend to main event these shows more than even the world title. Um, so speaking of Candido and Storm, they're up next against Furnace and LaFon. Um, the storyline here is that Lance Storm is apparently prospecting as a new member of the Triple Threat. Uh, these teams have an expectedly good match with the requisite arguing between Candido and Storm. There was one really nasty spot where Furnace slipped off the top rope and landed what looked to be straight on Chris Candido's head with his knee. But Candido and Storm recover and ultimately win with some controversy. Uh, but clean enough. Uh, in post-match, they shake hands. Um, Chris, not a match to review per se, but Lance Storm into the Triple Threat. Well, if this is where they go, um, I think it's a good fit because Lance is a great wrestler, but I don't really think that they're um, seeing bits from back in Smoky Mountain when him and Jericho were together as the Thrill Seekers. He never was the one to talk. It was always Jericho. He he does need a mouthpiece, and Candido is quite happy to be a mouthpiece. Douglas definitely wants to be a mouthpiece. <laughs> you know, he's a bit small for the enforcer role when you think they've had Brian Lee and Bam Bam, but for someone that's, you know, technically going to beat, beat you down and hurt you, would be a decent fit. But, you know, it depends on what they want to do with the Triple Threat. If they do want to keep to the format that they've always had, which is Shane, a good wrestler and a big guy, because obviously we've had Dean and Benoit as the wrestlers, and then there was always Primetime Brian Lee, or initially as as the big guy to be the bodyguard as such. Um, it would be interesting to see what they do, but I would quite happily put Candido and Storm together as a tag team and chuck them in as that already hench mix of tag teams we have and enjoy the consequences. Yeah, I think Lance Storm could work really well here. Uh, you mentioned he's not the most uh, gregarious of, of individuals. Not, he's not a talker. And I think it's easier for a non-talker to be part of a heel stable than to either be a stoic babyface or to be part of a... Uh, a babyface tag team because uh, we've seen it before with with other factions. But you know, when somebody's a bad talker or when they're annoying or they come off as grating, and I, you hear Lance Storm talk and his voice is is high and it's pitchy and it's squeaky, 
that can grate on fans, especially when you can come out and say, you may not like me, but I'm the best wrestler in the world, or I'm one of the best wrestlers in the world. And so no matter how I sound, no matter how you feel about me, no matter how unpolished I am uh, in talking to you, uh, I, I can still kick your ass, and I can do it in a number of ways. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, Candido, it's really interesting because Candido can almost play the role not as not as the henchman in terms of his size, but in terms of that 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 the guy who can who can you know light the flame that really gets gets things going for the triple threat. And so it's an interesting dynamic because, like you said, we've pretty much always had Shane, who's the leader, the Ric Flair. Then you've had your big heavy, and you've had your wrestler. Now you have two wrestlers, but they have such different personalities that you that you could stick them in a tag team, and you'd have uh, a really good dynamic and probably. If you combine their abilities, the most skilled tag team in the world. Um, I can't think of a team that would be, at least in North America, I can't think of a team whose combined talents would be better. Um, it looks, though, that this is building to a larger angle with Candido and Storm. But, Chris, I think you'd agree that in a team or against one another, that can't be bad, right? Uh, I will watch that every week or every month for the next year them two together in decent matches or them two against each other because that match as good as it gets was was I think their match was the highlight of the show and on on an awesome show to be the best match shows how good they are and yeah I've, I've said it a lot about Lance Storm that I think he's a really really good in good in-ring worker you know massively underrated and I could see him quite easily fitting into the Fed or in WCW, sort of in that mid card, being you know the guys that put on the matches that you know are never going to be there with the Hogan's or the the Shawns and the Undertakers and you know be their fodder, but you sort of can always put them on a pay per view, give them fifteen minutes, and you know you've got a decent wrestling match. Yeah, I think you could you could stick these two in a tag team. They could have a little success. It's it's a tried and true tried and true story. Then there's some dissension. Probably you'd want to turn Storm heel, but maybe can or turn Storm face for a few. But maybe you could with Candido because Sonny's so over, bring her in. But you can easily see where they could team up for a while, have some success, have a falling out, and have a, a series of matches, three, four, five matches together over major shows um, that that could be used to anchor the wrestling part of those shows, along with Just Incredible and John Cronus, if they use him correctly. I mean, ECW's we talk about the strength of the tag division. We talk about how good Bam Bam looked. We talk about how good Shane is. We haven't even yet talked about RVD and Taz and and Tommy Dreamer and those guys. And here we have yet another little carve-out with Chris Candido and Lance Storm and Justin Credible and, the, and the, the wrestlers. And things are looking really solid for ECW up and down the card. And that takes us right to Taz versus Rob Van Dam for the ECW television title. These last two weeks are packed on television. Uh, we open with Taz in the ring looking properly ready to cripple Van Dam. RVD hits a spin kick while the referee checks, checks Taz's boots. I think Gorilla Monsoon would call that a Pearl Harbor job. Uh, RVD puts the boots to Taz in the corner, highlighted by a flip off the top rope into a drop kick right into Taz's face. Uh, Taz counters a split-legged moonsault with a good old-fashioned kick in the balls. Taz follows with a double-hook suplex, which folds RVD in half. These guys are having another great match. Uh, and they're going a million miles an hour to start, and it doesn't really slow down. They brawl to the outside, and that sees Taz hit the guardrail, followed by a springboard kick by Van Dam. Back in the ring, RVD hits a slingshot leg drop and gets a two. 
RVD hits a double underhook pancake followed by a corkscrew leg for a two. RVD is really good, probably even better than their match several months ago. Uh, Taz crotches, uh, RVD crotches Taz on the top followed by a slingshot kick off the top. Here we go. Fonzie throws a chair into the ring, which leads to a chair-assisted split leg and moonsault. Van Dam is dominating so far. Van Dam hits a frog splash, which graces the ceiling, but it only gets a two. Taz grabs a German suplex, which brings out Sabu. Tommy Dreamer is out to even the odds. Well, he and Sabu brawl. Beulah and Fonzie scrap. No bleeding this time, thank goodness. Taz kills RVD with a Tazplex, sticking RVD's head and shoulder directly into the mat. No way to cushion that fall. We cut to the back of the arena where we see Lance Wright and the Pitbulls dressed like members of Ace Rothstein's private security team. They hit the ring to attack Taz as the bell rings, signaling a no contest. Taz can't overcome the numbers game. And so, Chris, we'll stop here to kind of break up the action because this continues for another 10 or 15 minutes. But uh, talk about this match. I thought I thought this was the best match uh, of the month. This had was so close to being the the match of the month, um, but it, it was the interference that just sort of that killed it for me. You know, I'd I'd have preferred them to have had the finish, then the pitbulls come out. Obviously, I get the the following story where, where we're going with it. Um, as you said, this is this was better than uh, the, their match from earlier in the year. How RVD takes some of these Taz plexes is not going to be condu- conducive for him having a long career because yeah, you should not be being dropped on your head and neck like that. That one Taz plex towards the end of the match was just he stuck him in there like a golf tee. There was no, he just landed on his head. It looked it looked very sore. Yeah, they, they, they had non Taz Flex where he, it had such a snap on it. Right. Um, as I've said many times on the show, every time we see RVD, he, he does new things and comes up with new, more innovative ways of coming up with his offense. And he just never disappoints. Um, I am massively surprised that Neither of the big two have just taken him. Um, either there's something we don't know, which is the cause that they haven't, or what, I, as I said, we don't know, but I am massively surprised that he has not been picked up. And sort of, again, he'd, I, I don't know if he'd be headline main event style, but definitely top top end of mid-card and, again, there to be the wrestler. Well, when we talk about the great wrestlers, and we talk about Chris Candido and, and, and those guys we've talked about ad nauseum so far, and we don't even mention RV and, RVD and Taz, and they might be even better than those guys. RVD has improved so much over the last uh, – over his time in ECW, frankly. I mean, he, he's had a, a steady rise to be somebody who – you know, when you have somebody who throws a lot of kicks and takes a lot of risky moves, top rope stuff, chair stuff, a lot of variables, it can look really bad and it can look really soft and it can look like you're not laying it in there and it can look like pantomime. The luchas in, in WCW are, are like this. It just looks like wrestling theater as opposed to a, an actual fight. RVD, God forbid the people have to be in the ring with him because he looks like he lays that shit in hard. He does not 
pulled back on the chair shots. Those those kicks make contact, and it looks great. And he's so sharp, and he bounces around like a jumping bean, and and makes these guys on offense. He makes himself look great. And when he's bumping around and taking these, especially from Taz, just getting tossed around on his head, on his back, on his side, it looks awesome. I mean, it's it's his facial expressions aren't quite there, but with the way he moves his body and the way he moves through the ring, he reminds me of a Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, or a, uh, a Shawn Michaels now, uh, Ricky Morton type. Just those guys that can be in the ring and can bounce around and make the other guy look great. And then when it's their time to shine, they can take the spotlight and look just as good on offense as they can on defense. Ah. He, he kind of looks enough like him, and he's got the charisma, and he's kind of got that polarizing attitude. I don't see why RVD couldn't turn into ECW's or maybe even WCW's version of Shawn Michaels. That that would be an, a very awesome thing. Um, as you're saying, yeah, he, he does have that of a Shawn Michaels, of a Kurt Henning, of, of a Ricky Morton, even a Steamboat, where so well in the selling that everyone else's stuff looks so much better when they're in the ring with RBD, yet his stuff, those those kicks don't miss. You know, he, he doesn't pull them in thunder. There's, there's no way of making that not look like it hurts because it clearly is going to hurt. That frog splash, the crispness oh smack on that that he does. I mean, you compare that to uh, Eddie Guerrero's got the frog splash and I don't think anybody's using it in the Fed right now. I mean, Harvey D, that thing raised the ceiling and I know the ECW, <laughs> he may have because that's a, a, a shoot bingo hall, but... He got all the way up there, and I guess my only criticism of, of this match, and it's ECW, so we kind of look at things differently through a different lens because guys get hit by cheese graters and guitars and get up after two, and they lose to a schoolboy. That being said, I would have liked them to protect that that frog splash because it's too good to be a transitional move. Nobody can do it like RVD, maybe other than Eddie, to get that uh, that height and that jump. And for Taz to kick out of it, it kind of, even though it's Taz and he's supposed to be a killer and, and, and everything, uh, I would have liked to see them uh, do a little more to protect that move. Um, but I don't think it'll matter ultimately because Taz is who he is. And speaking of Taz, uh, he's my favorite performer to watch in ECW. He's undersized. He doesn't really sell all that well. And he has his flaws. But almost like a Sid in late 96 WWF, there's just something about this guy which screams he will rip your throat out. And, and I find him... That combined with his wrestling ability makes Taz, to me, one of the most, if not the most compelling person to watch in ECW. Yeah. Um, obviously, I know we, as the show, we're covering UFC now. Um, he clearly is taking something from that world of, of the mixed martial art and shoot fighting because it's it's not pretty. It's not done in in the way to make it look like a wrestling match. He is going to throw you about. He is going to suplex you. And then when he gets on top of you, he's going to club you in the face. You know, none of it is designed to look like wrestling. And as you say, with the lucha stuff, it being, you know, a a dance, this is 
fighting. Um, he, he, it's the one thing that ECW do quite well is a lot of the guys here, either due to how good they are or how bad they are, depending on some of the guys, they do hit each other and they do make it real. Taz just is the personification of how fucking real it can be. As I said, his clubbing blows. The only person that I know that hits probably harder than that, or at least makes it look harder than that, is Vader. And so we turn to the post-match angle. Uh, Still in the ring, RVD hits a Van Daminator on Taz, assisted by the Pitbulls. RVD gets on the mic, but is drowned out by Just Say No Chance. Good, good shot, ECW Arena. Uh, RVD says he's had tea in New York City with Vince McMahon, and Vince agrees Taz is a paper champion. Uh, Fonzie has a huge WWF banner. This thing's one you'd hang in a basketball arena. And RVD declares the ECW Arena the WWF Arena. Taz recovers and suplexes Lance Wright's lawyers. I have a big issue with that. Uh, Bam Bam makes the save to run off the guys from New York. But Taz tells Bigelow, as only Taz can, that Taz is the only real champion in ECW. Taz, of course, does not want or need Bam Bam's help. Tensions boil, and Taz and Bigelow scrap as the show closes. Uh, Chris, a couple things here, but first, Bam Bam and Taz nose-to-nose. Uh, they may do this for the pay-per-view. It doesn't sound like they are, but a compelling idea for the future, Taz versus Bam Bam. Yeah, um, I'd say, I think we've mentioned it a couple of months ago, uh, sort of things that you could do with Taz. But like, Bam Bam would be quite an interesting, you know, view, just seeing him sort of lob him around and stuff. And actually seeing them two sort of stand face-to-face and that sort of hint of there could be a realism to that idea makes me want to see it more. Um, I, I think watching Bam Bam getting thrown around in only the way that Taz can throw people around would be interesting and seeing what what Bam Bam would do to Taz again would be a fun, fun little watch. I think. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know if uh, November to Remember would be the best of ideas because obviously you have two champion versus champion. If Douglas is involved as well, are, are you using too many of your belts in one match? There, you know, what happens if? say Taz loses like one of the falls do you take the TV title off him there or does the TV title not matter because they're fighting for the world title you know, it, is, it is a bit of a murky situation if you do it at the moment with them both having the belts but yeah I'm quite happy to watch it yeah, they say styles make fights and if we're going to say that Taz seems like an insurmountable opponent for people that are about his size what do you do you put him up against somebody who's twice his size who's a Right, badass in his own, in Bam Bam Bigelow, a, a true you know New Jersey East Coast brawler. And you put him up against a, a, a shoot fighter from Brooklyn, and uh, I think I think Bam Bam could be a credible opponent for Taz. And if Taz can hook Bam Bam around the ring, oh, I, I think everybody would uh, would like to see that. Hopefully, they get a chance to revisit this or to visit this in a little while. The sheets at the end of the month seem to implicate that they're pretty set on Douglas versus Bam Bam, and Taz is going to be doing other things. So I think they're doing a wise move here and setting this up for down the line uh, and saving it, and they can build to this slowly while everybody else finishes their uh, their programs. Last thing from television before we take a little break here. Um, 
Chris, ECW is still playing up this RVD WWF angle, and it, you know, I thought we were going to get the blow off at uh, at the last pay per view with Dreamer and Lawler and those guys, but they're they're carrying this angle forward. Do you think this helps anyone at this point? Well, this is obviously the first time we've seen any of this since the whole Lawler stuff and right. disappearing. Um, I'm not really sure what they're doing with it because does does it only fuel the the idea of RBD is on his way out and has maybe has already signed a deal? Because obviously we know there was talks this year with him sort of speaking about maybe going to the Fed and the Fed sort of being slightly interested in him. Um, it, it's it's a hard one to think do with it because you know that the Fed aren't going to touch the pit bulls and uh, trouble with the law and their steroids because we all know that the Fed aren't going to go anywhere near anyone openly using roids um, well unless they're made of that talent but you know but they're not openly using them being caught using them <laughs> fair enough or trafficking, trafficking them even um, so I, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm hoping that something's going to come out of it next month because, as I said, we haven't seen it for a, about two months now, and then all of a sudden the banner's back out. Intrigued to yeah, see where or what they're doing with it. Yeah, as, uh, I guess we can only say we shall see. And we come out of that and transition into our preview of the pay-per-view set for the 30th of November from what's basically Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, Chris, a lot of this is, is still up in the air, and they do have another full month to really finalize the card. This being ECW, people can come, people can go. I did a, a, a preview, well, a, a projection of what I thought the last pay-per-view would look like uh, back in, I think, June or July. And by the time they got around to the show, uh, half the guys that I – projected would be on the card we're out of the company um, but here's what we have at the end of the month and it looks like if plans stay as they are uh, the top four or five matches will look like this uh, Taz versus Pitbull 2 for the TV title Tommy Dreamer versus Rob Van Dam the Dudleys FBI Jack and Cronus and Balls and Axel in some type of four-way match for the tag team titles Sabu versus the Sandman and Shane Douglas versus Bam Bam Bigelow for the ECW title and we'll probably also see Chris Candido, Lance Storm, and Justin Credible, and that would just about do it. Uh, Chris, I know how much you liked the last show, but for me, the first two ECW pay-per-views have been disappointing. Uh, they've both been overshadowed by live events, WrestlePalooza in June, as good as it gets in September. But this card, if it sticks on paper, looks to be very strong. Yeah, um, so we'll sort of look at what we've got here. We've got... New feuds, because obviously Sabu and Sandman, yes, there's been rumblings all the way through since ECW started, and they've both been there, but as them two singly against each other is very much new, and, you know, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be weapons, there's going to be stunts, there's going to be broken tables, but it's going to be fun. You've got Taz or uh, Tommy and RVD 
that's the one match that I could probably do without because we've seen them have have three or four matches now, and yes, it's a good match, but they've not really done much different in all of them. It's pretty much been we've mapped out this idea; it works really well. Let's just rinse and repeat. If if it's that again for the fifth time, it's not really going to sort of cut the mustard, especially on a pay per view. Yeah, that match is almost guaranteed to have some type of run-in shenanigans, non-finish. I mean, like, yeah, this this is the rinse and repeat match of the show, and I think they have to do something different uh, between these guys. But even if they don't, I think we've just lauded RVD for ten minutes. I think he could draw another good match out of Tommy, and Tommy's See, the ultimate Tommy's the ultimate baby baby face too. So I think. Even if even if they rinse and repeat, it'll still be entertaining. That's the thing. I'm not not sort of saying that their match together wasn't good, but the problem was we had three of them on three weeks' worth of TV, right? Is much being the same match three times. It's it, it's the formula they're doing. If they can change it up a bit and bring new things into it, then it'll be a really good match because they've got the the basics of what them two can do together is great. It's just if they do the same match that they have done three times, which we've already seen, it's, uh, well, you've done this before. I may as well just watch what I've already seen. Um... Obviously, Shane and Bam Bam could go either way. Do you sort of do it as a quick title change back to Shane back in his hometown? Um, Because obviously last time they were at that arena, Shane was lauded as a hero as he fought Terry Funk. You know, so much so that there was a banner saying the franchise on the front row. Well, we can can talk about that Um, here. I mean... I wanted to get to it eventually anyway, so now's a really good opportunity. Shane Douglas positioned to be this hometown babyface. You mentioned before that they've done it with some success before. But, Chris, this is a guy who, in, on television, he actively assaults women. He tells the crowd to fuck off. He pimps out his valet. Doesn't it seem just a bit off to pull the hometown hero card for Shane, given he's been just about the best heel in wrestling over the last year or two? It is, because... He is there. There is no redeeming features to this guy in his character. As you say, he hauls out his own woman. He beats up all other women. He actively is is a to you know take a phrase out of most things. He's just a cunt, but for <laughs> but some he's reason he's good at doing that. Yeah, but for some reason in Pittsburgh. They love him. It, it's I know I know the Fed say it a lot whenever they go to Canada and call it Bizarro World. But it's ECW's little mini version of that is because everyone else they follow the rules, you know, they boo the heels, they cheer the faces, and like they're meant to. It's just Shane somehow in Pittsburgh. They love him. I, I think I think this is one of those, and it's a bit of a of a cop out. But I think for me, this is one of those things that can really only work in ECW. In that you have a, an anti-hero in Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Fed, who's uh, 
who rallies against authority, uh, and he's what would be, I guess, considered a heel in the way he wrestles and the way he treats uh, management and that kind of thing. Uh, and then kind of the same for, I guess, Sting in in the WCW and the NWO too. But their 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 position is proper heels. And but this is this to me is a little bit of a stretch for ECW to try to position Shane Douglas as this conquering babyface when. It's more than what Austin does. This guy is a, a, a rightful prick, and, and you've said that. I, I just I wonder about the effectiveness of this. The New York crowd was over so big for Bam Bam, and I would suspect that most live crowds would be over big for Bam Bam uh, over Shane. Positioning this this match just because of where the, the card is held uh, might cause some weird dynamics on television, and might cause some uh, some just some weird blurred lines between who's face and who's heel and who should we be rooting for and, and why is Shane getting cheered? I just, it's a little bit, it's a little bit heavy handed from ECW, but that won't, none of that will matter if they can have a match that's just as good as the one they had earlier uh, this month on television. Um, thing, couple, with, go with ahead. That, you, I wouldn't put it on last. That's the thing with what, you you let them have their moment to cheer and shout and whoop for Shane. You you get it out there halfway through the show. And with the way the world title's been positioned historically in ECW, you could easily see the tag team titles or the television title, both of which uh, headlined over world title matches this month. Uh, anyway, well at least the, the 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 television title did, and the world title opened uh, on the show. So yeah. ECW doesn't have that commitment to putting the world title on last like you see in, in the WWF, at least before Brett was champion again, and in, and in WCW when Hogan's around. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think if they do it like that and they put maybe the tag match on last, which they always do, or, or even Taz because he's been talking about uh, how more important the television title is, uh, I think that would be a way around that. A couple more things. Uh, I guess, you know, Taz versus Pitbull 2 seems like a big step down for Taz in kind of an awkward pairing. And I guess the idea is they brought the Pitbulls back just to have somebody the crowd would know to put over Taz. And so uh, it doesn't seem like this Taz versus Pitbulls feud is going to go much longer than uh, much longer than November 30th. That's probably a good thing, right, considering there's so many better opponents out there for Taz. Yeah, I think the, this is one of those ones where visually it's going to look awesome seeing Taz slam them both about. Because um, you know it will say it's 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 a singles match against Pitbull too, but you know that Pitbull one will get involved, and the fact of show Taz as being awesome for lobbing people about, and you know it sometimes you you need these sort of matches out of pay per view that are just to further a character on and make him look good this is what that's going to be, really. It's just going to be a glorified squash. And, and the promo we will have heard, but, yeah, the promo we will have heard will be Taz admitting that basically he knows that a fight with Pitbull 2 is a fight with Pitbull 1 is a fight with Jason, and he basically says, I'll take on all, I'll take on all three of yous in his, in his thick Brooklyn accent. Did you have something else there, Chris, on Taz? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. You know, as I said, it'll be a glorified squash, but that's what it needs to be. And so the last just interesting bit of, of I guess, behind-the-scenes booking info that was uh, talked about uh, in the Observer and the Torch this month was, so the FBI win the world tag titles, 
And the idea here, I guess, is that the FBI will be perceived as such weak champions that ECW basically can promote that there's going to be a tag title change at the pay-per-view. And the suspense is in which team out of Jack and Cronus, the Dudleys, and Balls and Axel will win. Chris, this pretty much means the FBI is going to retain the tag titles, right? You, you would imagine that somehow they're going to weasel a victory out of it because, you know, you, you can see it now. The Dudleys have pre-deed one of Gangstonators for a table. Cronus has hit a 450 on Axel or Balls. Big Dick's got the other one of Balls and Axel. And there is little Guido crawls over, puts an arm over someone, gets the free and walks away with the belts. And if the show ends with this match, as we think it maybe should, we can go off the show with the big Don holding up those shiny gold belts, his plan continuing to come come to fruition. Anything else on November to remember uh, as it stands right now at the end of October? No. Um, obviously, I'm hoping that we'll get another Sasuke credible combination somewhere. Um, quite like to see Storm and... Candido in a, maybe a tag match or even a singles match against each other. Um, there is talk that Jerry Lynn should be back in time for the pay-per-view as well because um, he's just been out this most of this month with a uh, niggle in his knee. He'll be back in the mix. So, you know, you've got these sort of four matches that you've got your walking brawl, your, your big match for, you know, hardcoreness. Yeah, your wrestling match in RVD and Tommy. So, you know, a couple of other decent wrestling matches in the mid-card should round it out and give us a decent pay-per-view. It looks to be a very strong card on paper. I hope it stays that way until November 30th. And one more thing to discuss this month. Uh, we'll end a bit on a somber note. Um, we, we would be remiss uh, not to acknowledge the death of Brian Pillman. Um, you know, Brian Pillman, his untimely and very sad death will be covered extensively, I, certainly on the WWF show and, and probably a little bit on the WCW show. Uh, but Brian Pillman, as he did to all wrestling fans, he affected all three uh, all three companies, ECW as well. Uh, Chris, you're the resident ECW expert here. I'll turn the floor over to you to say a couple words about Brian Pillman, um, especially in terms of what you think he meant to ECW. Yeah, um with with Pillman, um, obviously his run in ECW wasn't very long, but it was very, very noticeable. Um, obviously, we know that the, the backstory of it is he asked for his release as a joke to Bischoff to see if he'd actually do it, and then went, oh, look, we'll tell everyone that I've got this real release, but I'm still a WCW guy. I'll turn up in ECW and do some shots over there. He turned up as the crazy, loose cannon, wacky guy, wrestling a pencil and just being edgy. And it, it seemed to show a real sort of side to him that he had this this sort of demon in him that just wanted to sort of cause mischief as such, you know, in, in a fun way. And, and, and I think where we can credit 
Pillman and we can credit ECW uh, and, and their relationship with one another. And this is not going to be a unique take, but largely in the same way that we can credit ECW in Austin, how ECW provided a home for these guys to develop characters that would, in Austin's case, looks like it's going to, and in Pillman's case, probably would have if he hadn't uh, untimely passed away, vaulted them into this next level of, of superstardom. Uh, and I think, to his credit, to Pillman's credit, he always seemed to take advantage of the opportunities he was given in any of the three companies that he was a part of. And even though, like you said, he was only in ECW for a couple of months, um, we really saw the the loose cannon character develop to its fullest extent uh, in those in that time. Anything mm. else, Chris? Yeah, I uh, just want to sort of go on back from the WCW days because obviously seeing lots of that too. Um, he was so innovative in those early sort of early 90s in WCW in that sort of creating what would soon be the the cruiserweight division, the, you know, changing light heavyweight wrestling from just literally being heavyweights but still wrestling a heavyweight style to bringing in more of the high-flying, bringing in the sort of more acrobatic stuff and, you know, being sort of ripped and looking good and sort of not being being that sort of guy that just was oh look he's just a small guy yeah, he put in decent matches there's there's matches with him with Steamboat with Great Muta with Austin all in those sort of early days when he was still wearing the Bengal trunks that are the reason that I mean WCW in those early sort of 90s when they were a, a hard thing to get through. They were they were always a shining light. It was if you saw that Pillman was on the card, you knew you were going to get a good match. And then when he teamed up with Austin and started the Hollywood Blondes again, you see those two together on a card. You know you're going to get a decent tag match on every show. Sort of all the way through his career, he was never the big man. He was never going to be the main event. He was never sort of seen as as a top guy. For real wrestling fans that like watching actual wrestling and being entertained by the in-ring product, not just the story, and you know being told who you meant to like, you know you it doesn't you don't have to love Hogan, you don't have to you know be the guy that wants to always go with that. You know that you could always watch someone like a Pillman and and get good good matches. And as as we've gone on today. You look at the ECW mid-card, how many of them would have watched Pillman back in 91, 92 in WCW and gone, I can do that. Very well said. And that will just about do it for October 1997 in ECW, Volume 3 of this month's offering. To recap, four volumes this month. Volume 1 looks at the WWF and the Bad Blood Show. That's got to be Kane. Volume 2 looks at WCW and Halloween Havoc, and I'm told our resident uh, leader, Mr. Bamber, says that's a must-watch show, so check that out. And Volume 4 covers UFC 15. Chris Lacey, thanks again. I'll open the floor to you to plug your Twitter, your podcast, and any other projects you might be working on. 
Yeah, so uh, you can follow my normal pod, uh, my normal Twitter, at Lacey555666, where at the minute it's just basically me ranting about football and video games, because it's that sort of time of the year. Um, if you like music, then come and listen to me on Show and Tell with Tunes. Um, we are 57 episodes in, so that means there's 57 hours of free music for you to listen to. Listening. That can be found on all good podcast platforms. And if you want to hear my musings of old school, you can listen to me on Super Rules, Queen Havoc 1993. Ooh, excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Modern Day Lawyer. But most importantly, a reminder to visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs. $5 a month for early access and our unwavering appreciation. Please also visit the website at wrestling20yrs.com for tons of written content from Bob Bamber and company. And that will do it for this show. Uh, for Chris Lacey, I am Eric Landstrom. This has been the October 1997 ECW edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.